Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Mark chapter 12, our theme verses for this year. Uh, Let's read those real quick. It says this in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 29. Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now we've, uh, we've covered three of those four so far, right? We've covered loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And so let's, let's just kind of review those things to, to help us see where we're going today. And so the first week we talked about loving God with all of our heart, right? And we said with that, love is our what? Does anybody remember? Love is our... Anybody? No? It's been four weeks, so I, I know that's a long time ago. No, there, I think I heard motivation. Love is our motivation, okay? It, uh, the heart is the seat of our emotions and of our, of our motivation, why we do what we do. And we really just asked ourselves the question, why do we do the things that we do? Whether religious or moral in nature, our relationships with people and to God, why do we do those things? And really, the only sustainable motivation is love. Loving with all of our heart means that love is what motivates us to do things. Then week two, we looked at loving God with all of our soul. And that week we said that love is really, the way we worded it was love is our definition. And what we meant by that is really just that love is our whole identity. Love is what we uh, allow God to identify us as. We are loved. And then we also should be identified by other people as loving. And we unpacked in 1 John chapter 4 really three steps to that. If love is going to really be that deep in our hearts and in our lives, in our, down to our soul, the very spiritual nature of us, uh, then first of all, we have to be plugged into the, the source of love. We have to know the love of God. Then we have to grow in that love and ultimately then we have to show that love. And we saw that in 1 John chapter 4. And then we last week talked about the fact that love, loving with all of our mind means that love is a mindset, right? It's a thought process. The, the way that we think about people should be filtered through the grid and the lens of the gospel, through love, And when that is the case, our thoughts will be patient and kind and on down the line of what we talked about last week. If our mindset is love, then we said we'll be thinking more about the glory of God and the good of other people than we will be our own glory or our own good. If love is really our mindset. Which brings us to this week. Loving God with all of our strength. Uh, The Greek word used here, it means power or might strength or, or ability. Uh, quite literally, it, it implies all that we can do well, all that we can do to the fullest. Uh, it, it gives us the connotation that love is not just some concept. It, it's not just some feeling or emotion. It's not just some thought process. Love is an action. It, uh, it's demonstrative. It's tangible. You're able to see love 
displayed uh, when someone truly is loving. It's something that is on display for others. And what I find interesting about that is out of the list of four areas that we've uncovered, and, and really you look at loving God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, three of them deal with the internal and only one deals with the external. Why do you think that is? I, I think it, it's because, here's why I believe that is, is if you focus more on what you externally do than what's internally uh, motivating behind all of that, if you only uh, work on the outside, then your internal motivations or mindsets and identity can get all messed up. If you're only, uh, I mean, that's what the Pharisees' problem was, right? The Pharisees consistently was all about the outside and inside. You go read, uh, I think it's Matthew 23. Jesus has quite a few indictments against the Pharisees. He calls them whited sepulchers, and he uh, tells them that they worry more about cleaning the outside of the cup, and yet when you go to drink from it, it's nasty on the inside. Uh, He goes to really show them that their philosophy, which is focusing on the external, many times messes up all of the internal. However, when you focus on the internal first, uh, then it naturally flows to the external. Uh, I, I'd say it this way. You can, you can love with all of your strength without loving with all of your heart, soul, and mind. You can do that. You can consistently display and do actions without anything internal actually being loving to motivate that or, or why you do those things. But, but if you love with all of your heart, soul, and mind, you will love with all of your strength. Does that make sense? Uh, it, so, so don't walk away from today's message as we unpack love being in action, thinking, okay, if I just make sure that I'm showing kindness and doing acts of love externally, then I'm good because we're not. That's why we've uh, unpacked all that we have the last three weeks is, uh, is that what, we're, what takes place in what we're talking about today is a natural outpouring of everything we've already covered in this series so far. And so the aspect of love we uncover today is vital, but if we only focus on this aspect of love, we'll actually only be living a life that's like coded with love. And our goal that we've been talking about is not just being coded on the outside with love, but being consumed from the inside out with love, a love for God and a love for people. And so with that being said, if you're still there, Luke chapter 10. Okay, Luke chapter 10, we're going to read verses 25 through verse 37. A pretty well-known story, but we'll read it, say a quick word of prayer, and then dive into the message. The Bible says this, And behold, a certain lawyer uh, stood up and tempted him, talking to Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he, answering, said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus, answering, said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. 
And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Go and do thou likewise. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the time that we have now to be in your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Help us to have open hearts and minds ready to hear from you, God. I, I know that what we hear today is something that you would like to see in every one of our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to me even as I preach this morning. And, uh, Lord, that you'd open every single one of our hearts to uh, just, just display your love even this week as we walk with you and as we interact with other people. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this story, the story in Luke chapter 10, many of us who have been in church for any length of time probably know it. The story of the Good Samaritan is what it's called, right? How many of you have heard the story of the Good Samaritan before? A good amount of us, okay. So the Good Samaritan, uh, it's, it's a pretty well-known story. And so for, for sake of time, I'm not going to go and, and unpack the whole story and be, a lot of depth and all of that. Uh, but, uh, but let's just kind of go through what we just read, okay? A lawyer, uh, a man of the law, uh, most likely one of the Pharisees, one of the religious leaders of some kind, he was a student of the law, a teacher of the law. He comes to Jesus and asks a question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, what should I do to make sure that I live forever in heaven with God? What, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And what he's specifically asking is pertaining to the law. He, he's a lawyer and he's asking about the law. And so Jesus says to him, well, what does the law say? You know the law, what does it say? And he gives us the, the same thing we've unpacked for the past few weeks. Hey, we, you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's right. If you do that, you'll live. <laughs> well, the thing about that is to know what, what the man would have understood the implication was is uh, no one does that perfectly 100% of the time, all the time. Uh, part of the story is the fact that this man's asking how to gain eternal life and Jesus says, be perfect, is really what the answer is. Be perfect. And uh, in, in those two areas, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this man, instead of what should have happened, is when he heard that, the man should have been like, I, I, I know that's what we're supposed to do, but it's so hard. How? Master, how, how, teacher, how can I learn how to do that fully? That's what it should have brought. And every time we come to the law, I think of uh, what, what uh, I think it's Paul wrote in Romans. Uh, he says, man, when you look at the law, it's, it's supposed to condemn you. Like you're supposed to read the law and go, I don't add up. I don't measure up. 
Uh, that's what the law is supposed to do, is to give us knowledge of our sin and then bring us to a point of repentance. But did you notice that it said the lawyer, after hearing the answer, uh, this is what you do and you can live, uh, it says, willing to justify himself. <laughs> he, he knows what that implication means, and in his mind, I've pretty much got that down, as long as we have the same definition of neighbor. <laughs> I mean, in his mind, he, he was loving God to the fullest, as he should, uh, apparently. Apparently, he thought, well, I've got that down. I tithe down to the, the milla, you know, grain that I can of all my stuff. I do everything that I can to God, and so I know I'm, I'm good there. But, but what's your definition of neighbor? That's where we might... Uh, you know, it's really semantics, Jesus. Tell me what, what's neighbor? Uh, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, says that a man on his way to, uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho or from Jericho to Jerusalem on the road there, uh, it, it's called the Jericho Road. It's an area, if you were to go to Israel today, this is what it looks like. It, it's just a windy road through a bunch of uh, hills. And, and if you look at it as you, as you go, there are plenty of places on both sides up in the mountains and, and trees all around it uh, that, that would be a good place to hide for thieves. You go there. I remember when I went there, uh, when I went to Israel, got to this spot, sat there, and the guy said, uh, think about the story of the Good Samaritan. I looked and I'm like, yep, this is a good place to hide, <laughs> okay? Lots of good hiding spots for the thieves. But uh, this would have been the area that he was walking on. It says a man was walking and, and fell among thieves. Thieves that were hiding took him uh, and, and beat him. It says strips him of his clothes and leaves him mostly dead right there on the ground is what the story tells us. And then Jesus, as he's continuing the story, says, and as that man lying mostly dead, naked, uh, on the ground, a priest a priest comes by, sees this man, okay, and walks on the other side, walks past him. Now, a lot of commentators have a lot of different reasons on why the man walked by. Uh, the, the point of the story isn't why he walked by, because all Jesus says was that he walked by. Uh, the point of the story is what the Samaritan did, okay? So what Jesus says is he says, hey, a priest came, uh, the, like the religious leader, that'd be like the pastor of a church, okay? The, the, uh, the highest quote-unquote ranking person in our religious system here, the priest, is, is who walked on by it. The one who should have been displaying love to his neighbor walked right by this guy. Then he says, and then a Levite. That, that would have been someone who uh, worked in the temple and worked around. They would have done a lot of the odd jobs. They didn't necessarily, uh, they weren't from the line of Aaron, and so they weren't as high as the priests, but they did a lot of the same work there, excuse me, in the temple and on the temple grounds. And this man, uh, a full-time staff person in the temple, okay, sees the man, walks by. But it, it, it actually says he looks at him. So it says a little bit more than what the priest did. The priest probably just saw him and said, nope, got to go. I can't defile myself. Whatever his reasoning was, he walked by. And the Levite at least looked at the guy for a moment, maybe contemplated, should I help him? But ultimately didn't, just walked by again. And then Jesus, he takes the Samaritan, uh, a, a, a person who was an outcast to the society of the Jews and makes him the hero of the story. <laughs> Says, hey, a certain Samaritan comes. He sees the man. He has compassion on the man. And that compassion moved him to do something about it. He took him up. He bound him. He, uh, uh, he uh, helped his wounds. He helped to pour the 
uh, antiseptic and the, the soothing oil that right there on the wound so that it would heal and, and so that the pain would be alleviated. All of that, the, the Samaritan did that and he sacrificed a lot to do so. But he was, he was one who showed kindness is really the gist of what Jesus says. We'll unpack a little bit more of that in a second. But he showed kindness to this man. And then Jesus says to the lawyer, so who do you think was neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? And the man says, well, the one who showed mercy to him. The one who actually did something about it. That's the one who, uh, who was a neighbor. And Jesus says, go and do that likewise. Now, before we even get into the, where we're going to go with our, our message today, I, I want to acknowledge a few things uh, about this story. First of all, I, I recognize that the, the primary interpretation and application of this story is, is not that loving people should move us to actually do something for people. That's a great application. That's where we're going to go with it. But the primary story here is that a man comes to Jesus asking how he can gain eternal life according to the law. And Jesus tells him the only way he can do that is to fulfill the law perfectly toward God and like the Good Samaritan to every single person that you come into contact with. And each person that hears this must come to the realization that none of us can do that 100% of the time. So this story primarily should move us to repentance and recognition that we cannot earn eternal life uh, by ourselves. Apart from Jesus Christ, uh, we cannot do that. The, the law condemns us if we truly take it that way. That's the primary. But I also recognize this story is a beautiful representation and a beautiful picture of the gospel. The, the, a beautiful picture of the gospel. The fact that we, like the man left for dead, we're in a completely and utterly helpless state. Nothing we could do could get us out of this situation. And if left to ourselves, we would die. Spiritually, we would die. And yet, Jesus, another person who, by the religious leaders and many Jews, was an outcast, came despite our predisposition toward him and did what we could not so that we could be healed. We were the traveler on the road that Jesus showed mercy toward. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he stepped out of heaven to help. He didn't just have pity on us. He showed compassion on us, toward us. He picked us up, bandaged our wounds, and he paid the price for us. The story is a beautiful picture of that, of the gospel and how Jesus came and took us in our lowly state and helped to bring us out of that lowly state of sin. But the reason I've, I've chosen this passage for our study today on loving with all of our strength, with all of our ability, that, that love is an action, is because I think a lot of times we can often find ourselves like the lawyer in this sense, we know the answers. Uh, we know what the Bible says. In fact, we can go through three entire weeks of unpacking what it means to love with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And at the end of every week, go, wow, that is such good truth. But then do nothing with it. We can often do that. But in our theme passage in Mark 12, after Jesus even gives his answer, the man who asks the question goes, wow, Jesus, you're right. That is better than every other burnt offering and commandment that we were given in the law. And Jesus says to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, okay, you got it. You know it. Now do it. Uh, in our passage today, Jesus asks the man the question, who was neighbor to this man? 
And the lawyer says that the one who showed mercy was. And Jesus' words were then, go and do thou likewise. And I believe God's call to us would be the same today as we've really exhausted a lot of thoughts regarding how we should love God and how we should love other people. But knowing all of these Bible verses about love and knowing all of these concepts of love and agreeing with the truth of the Bible that we have learned does nothing if we don't put it into action. If we don't apply it, as James says, we don't just hear the word, we do it. It's displayed in some way in our life. And so let's look for a few moments at how love was displayed by the Samaritan and also look to our ultimate example, our Savior, Jesus, to see how our love should look as we strive to love with all of our strength, with all of our ability, uh, displaying the love of God to God and to others. First of all, I see in verses 33 and 34 of our passage that the Samaritan, one way he displayed the love and the compassion that he had in his heart was he served. He served this man. You read those two verses, it says, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. This man went out of his way to help this man, and to serve this man. He bandaged up the cuts and the bruises of the man. He, he poured oil and wine and, and antiseptic and a, and a soothing oil to help heal the wounds and to alleviate the pain. He put him on his own animal, which means he walked. He allowed this man to ride on his animal and he walked with him. He took him to an inn and took care of him all night. How do we know he took care of him all night? Well, because the next verse says, on the morrow. He stayed with the man for an entire night and served this man selflessly. It doesn't seem at any point in the story that this Samaritan thought, oh, what will happen to me if I help this man? Uh, Despite the fact that he could have gotten hurt, the thieves, the robbers, could have still been around for all he knew. Uh, Despite the fact that this man most likely would have rejected the Samaritan on any other normal given day. Uh, Despite the fact that it was an inconvenience This man was on a journey. The Samaritan was going to a certain place. It was an inconvenience. Despite all of that, uh, his thought wasn't, what will happen to me if I help him? It seems to be his thought, what will happen to this man if I don't help him? Not, what will happen to me if I help him, but what will happen to this man if I don't help him? And so we see him go out of his way to serve this man. As I look at the life of our Savior Jesus, I see this all over the place as well, where Jesus goes out of his way to serve people selflessly all throughout his ministry. Uh, In John chapter 13, one of the most amazing examples of service when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. (laughs) He was the most important person in that entire group. He could have easily thought to himself, well, why haven't my feet been washed yet? My, my feet are filthy. If you were to study what had been taking place leading up to John chapter 13, they had done a lot of walking. Jesus' feet definitely would have been uh, needed to be washed, and he was no lowly slave or servant in the house. He was under no obligation to wash the disciples' feet, and yet we see Christ's love. He, he doesn't think, why haven't my feet been washed yet? He's thinking, 
wow, these, need, these men need their feet washed. <laughs> that was his thought. The, these men need their feet washed, and his thoughts were on the needs more so of his disciples, not on his own needs, and he selflessly served others when he needed that to be done just as much as they did. And yet he served people. Uh, even more astounding on that night is that he was thinking of the needs of Judas. Judas was one of the ones that he washed his feet. He knew what Judas was going to do to him later that very night. And, and uh, yet he was more concerned for the needs of Judas even than he was his own. <laughs> what an example of serving in love. Just begs the question, are we loving that way? That we would serve selflessly, caring more for the needs of even people that have hurt us or we know are out to do us wrong. More, more for their needs than our own are our thoughts. What, what an amazing example of love for our Savior. We also see Jesus do it, I think of in the Garden of Gethsemane when, when Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus. I'm still convinced Peter wasn't going for the ear. <laughs> Peter was going for the kill shot most likely and missed and took an ear off. And yet, instead of Jesus being more worried about himself uh, and, and, oh man, they're, they're coming to get me. I'm literally about to be taken to go through trials that will ultimately lead to me being murdered, me being killed in front of many people. Instead of thinking on that, what he thought was, man, this guy's ear needs to be put back on. And we see him lovingly take up an ear and serve even someone who is about to arrest him. He serves him in that way. Uh, man, we see all throughout the life of Jesus that he served people. And we see the Samaritan serving, going out of his way to selflessly serve another man who at the time could do absolutely nothing back for him. Not only do we see that he served, we also see, I think in verse 35, that he sacrificed he sacrificed for this man. Look at verse 35. It says, And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. This man truly gave of his time and of his resources to help this man. He invested his time, though it would have been an inconvenience on his own journey. He took the man, took the time to bind him and, and help bandage his wounds, helped uh, take the time to put him on his own animal, took the time to uh, take him to, his, uh, to this inn that he would let him stay in, and even invested his, uh, his own resources of the oil and the wine, and most likely his own clothes to bandage up this man, his animal. He, he most likely even invested uh, this, his bed to this man. Not, the inn wouldn't have had multiple beds in each room. It most likely would have had one bed. He would have probably let this man take the bed and he slept on the floor or against a wall or something like that uh, in this inn. And on top of that, this man, he invested money. He invested money, uh, two pence or two uh, denaria. Some scholars would, uh, have, would say that it would have paid for about two weeks of staying in the inn. Some estimate up to two months uh, because of, uh, find, back in uncovering some old Roman cities, they found a big sign that had uh, how much it would be for one night to stay at an inn like this. And uh, it, was, it was a fraction of a denaria. <laughs> it was a fraction of it. And so uh, based on that, they say anywhere from two weeks to two months, this two denaria would have paid for the, Samari or the, for the man to stay inside this inn. 
And so we see either way, two weeks or two months, this is lavish spending on the behalf of, uh, on behalf of this man by the Samaritan. And he was willing to spend even more. We see him say to the innkeeper, he says, hey, anything that costs more after this, let me know when I come back and I'll, I'll pay it back to you. He was willing to pay more even to help this man. And he, he just invested and sacrificed of his time, of his resources, of even his own money to help this man and to show love and compassion to him. And again, we see something like this regularly in Jesus' life. Uh, he consistently sacrifices for others. We, we see it in the feeding of the 5,000. If you were to go back and read that story, John chapter 6, it's in, it's in every single um, gospel, but especially in John chapter 6, you can see that right before uh, this, the feeding of the 5,000 took place, Jesus had departed into a mountain with his disciples. Uh, they, they specifically were doing it to get some rest, to, to rest. And it says that they were sitting down and the connotation is that it was to relax. And that's a rarity in the life of Jesus, especially in this time, his popularity is really growing. That's a rarity that they would get to rest and his disciples, uh, and even for his disciples because of that. But yet in the midst of trying to relax, Jesus, it says, was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes coming toward them. He sacrificed his need for rest and he ministered to those people, uh, ultimately culminating in one of the greatest known miracles of the Bible when Jesus fed all 5,000. At the end of the miracle, he even sacrificed his opportunity to be lifted up as the political savior that these people were trying to make him. Uh, at the end of it, they were so excited for what he had done, they were like, oh, this is the man, this is the guy, let's lift him up and he overtake Rome. And uh, he, instead of, uh, instead of taking his rightful place as their leader, he knew it was not yet his time. And, and so in humility, he sacrifices that and sends them all away. Sends his disciples on a boat and sends everyone else away. We see him uh, sacrifice many times his opportunity to win uh, arguments that don't matter. <laughs> I think of uh, the argument on whether he needed to pay the temple tax or not. You look at Matthew 17, Jesus and his disciples, they're in Capernaum, and the religious leaders ask Peter why his master, Jesus, doesn't pay the temple tax. And in Peter's mind, there's no reason that Jesus wouldn't. So he says, well, of course, he pays the tax. But then Jesus had to teach Peter that kings don't fund their own kingdom by taxing their family. They do it by taxing the kingdom. And so uh, as he's teaching the, there, he says, even so, the son of God does not have to pay the tax to fund God's kingdom. Why? Because I'm, I'm God's family. <laughs> he's teaching Peter that. And instead, yet, even though he didn't have to pay the tax, instead of staking his claim and winning this argument, Jesus performs the miracle of Peter fishing and finding the fish with the money in its mouth. And he uses it to pay the temple tax for Jesus and Peter. I think Jesus understood sometimes it's okay to sacrifice an opportunity to be right on some, he's right in that matter, he didn't have to, but it's okay to sacrifice that for the cause of greater peace with people. And we can definitely learn from that. We don't always have to be right. Sometimes it's okay to be silent. We can let people be wrong for the sake of a greater cause, peace and unity with that person. And we see Jesus' ultimate sacrifice, of course, when he died on Calvary for the sins of the world, he gave everything so that you and I could go to heaven and be with him one day. Uh, amazing sacrificial love displayed on the cross. 
And when you really start to think and contemplate what he did in that complete sacrifice for us, he was, he was tortured and ridiculed and spit on. He was lied about. He was mocked to scorn. He was laughed at. He was beaten across the face. He had his beard ripped out of his face. He, he was whipped so much that his entire body was barely visible to be even a man. It just uh, looks like uh, uh, raw flesh on bone at, at one point. Was, they just didn't even know you could barely recognize him as a man, it says. It, he was so bloodied and bruised that he was barely recognized as a human being. He was pierced through his hands, through his feet with nails, and through his side with a, sphere, a spear. He was hung on that cross, grasping for air. Lungs probably felt like they were going to burst with every single breath that he breathed until he completely suffocated to death right there on Calvary. And he did every single bit of that for you and for me out of love. Romans 5 eight. he demonstrated that love to us when he died for us. We, we need to understand that to love others as Christ loves us means we're willing to sacrifice some things for people. We're willing to sacrifice uh, things. John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. What is that? That's sacrifice. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savior. Christ was willing to sacrifice so much for us because of his love for us. That means that we too should be willing to sacrifice for each other, to sacrifice for others. Now, can I get practical for a moment? Uh, we, sometimes it's easy for us to, to talk about these things, to, uh, to accept these concepts, say, yeah, we should love selflessly. We should serve selflessly and sacrificially serve people. I agree with that. <laughs> but then uh, it can be easy for us to say that and, and agree with it, but it isn't always easy to live out. <laughs> However, we're, we're supposed to live it out. <laughs> It's supposed to be displayed in some way. John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, he said, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It should not just be something we say or we believe. It should be something that motivates us to actually do something. And so let me give us some just practical thoughts before we close today on how displaying love could look in different areas of our lives? How could it be displayed? How could it look maybe in our conversations? If we're going to display the love that is in our heart and our soul and in our mind, if we're going to display that in our conversations, well, instead of dominating conversations, we'll most likely use conversations to see how we can minister to another person. So if you start to realize that you're the one talking the most in a conversation and most what comes out of your mouth is about you, then uh, you might not be exhibiting the selfless love that you and I should in that situation. In our conversations, we'll sacrifice our desire to talk about ourselves so that we can then show love and compassion toward others. In our conversations, we'll sacrifice our desire to be right sometimes <laughs> for the sake of unity and peace with the other person. We'll, we'll uh, sacrifice our desire to 
talk all about ourselves, what's going on in our lives, our own jobs, our own dreams, our own uh, everything. If, if we're loving selflessly and sacrificially, then our conversations are going to be more geared toward listening to the other person talk. We'll desire to learn more about others rather than making sure everyone knows more about us. We'll defend, uh, another way it could be defended or uh, displayed is that we'll defend each other. If someone else is gossiping or complaining about another person, uh, don't put up, don't put up with people gossiping or complaining about other people, especially other believers. Don't put up with that. Call them out on it and defend those that, uh, in the body of Christ in love. Defend it in love. I, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but, but the armor of God, uh, as I was studying, I was just looking through Ephesians and I got to the armor of God. I was reading through that and uh, the, the armor of God is all forward facing. It's all forward facing battle gear. It's defending that which comes in front of you. And one of the reasons I think that is, is that each and every one of us who are in this battle have got to have each other's backs, okay? We have all the forward-facing armor to fight against the uh, fiery darts of the wicked and, and all of those kinds of attacks, but many times we don't have each other's backs. We need to defend each other in love. That's one way it could be displayed even in conversations. Defend people. Don't put up with gossip or complaining about other people. How would it look like in our prayers? If we're going to display the love of God to other people, how would that look like in our prayers? Well, instead of just praying for what we want, we would pray for God's will to be done and, uh, and pray for other people more than we pray for ourselves. I, I think of Jesus' model prayer that he gives us. He says, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't say, I want, I want my way. In fact, even in the garden when he prayed, uh, he says, uh, Lord, if there's any other way, however, your will be done. <laughs> uh, man, if, if, our love, if love is gonna be displayed in our prayers, it's not gonna be all about us. It's gonna be more about the will of God and about the good of other people. We'll use our prayer time to intercede for other people. At, at all times, there really are people that need our prayers. We have people, in, in, even in our church now, and, and people that all of us know that are, are battling cancer or depression or going through surgeries or sicknesses or death in the family, uh, pregnancy, heartbreak. There's so much that can be prayed for, and we need to be praying for people. If we're loving each other the way we should, then we're going to sacrifice a bit of time each day to, to pray for others. As you talk with people, when they give you details of things going on in their life. Make a mental or even better yet, a physical note of it and pray for that thing that's going on in their life. And that, that's how it would be displayed in our prayers. How would it look like in our investing, in our giving? Not just of money, but uh, it definitely has to do with one way that we could display our love in our giving. If, if you know someone, uh, just random thoughts. If you know someone likes a specific kind of coffee, get one for them. <laughs> I mean, it, it's sacrificing a little bit of my own money, but just doing something like that. Uh, buy someone's coffee in the shop or drive through that you're in. Take care of someone else's meal. Give money or food to someone on the side of the road asking for it. If someone is going through a financial difficulty, help out monetarily if you can. If someone is in the hospital or is stuck at home recovering from something, write, write them a note, text them, call them. And if they don't mind visitors, go see them. <laughs> uh, that's just ways we can display the love of God in the way that we invest into people. It wouldn't take long for us really to think about, see a need, and then through our actions, show the love of Christ to another person. So look for those kind of opportunities and then seize them. 
how would it look like outside of these walls? Not just in our church family and helping each other that way, but outside of, uh, outside of these walls, how it look like? Well, as a church family, we'll, we'll actually acknowledge each other in public. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I've done this, so I'm telling on myself, okay? How many times have you seen someone you know in, in public and you avoid them? I'm not the only one, don't I? <laughs> and you've done that. And yet even sometimes those of the world show greater love than those in the body of Christ when they see each other. And, and oh, hey, how are you doing? And, and investing in people. Take time to actually see people and invest in them out uh, when you're maybe running errands or anything like that. It's a great way to display the love of Jesus. We'll talk well of those that are, uh, that are within our church and within our families. We'll, we'll talk well of them outside these walls. Uh, that, that's one way love will be displayed. If we're loving outside of these walls, we'll also share the truth of the gospel with those who are in our community. If we truly have the mindset of love that we talked about last week, then we understand, and especially if we are loving with all of our soul, when, when we display it, it's going to naturally come out that we share the gospel with people. That, that we at some point, point point them in the conversation to Jesus Christ or to an opportunity that they can come and hear about Jesus Christ. That's one way it would be displayed outside of these walls. You know, we could go on and on and on. I'm sure even as I said some of those things, you thought in your mind, and this is a way I could do that. This is a way I could do that. And go on and on with a lot of different ways that this could be tangibly practiced in our lives and in our interactions with other people. But I think, I think we all see it. We, we must make sure that we are loving and, and displaying that love with our actions. Not, not just have a love for God and for people, but, but show that love to, to other people. Believers and non-believers alike. Family, friends, strangers, acquaintances, just displaying the love of Jesus in the way that we interact, in our actions. Christ, he didn't just feel love for us. He demonstrated that love with the completely selfless and sacrificial act of dying on the cross for us. The, the Good Samaritan, it says he had compassion on him. But then it says, and went to him. His compassion, his love moved him to do something about this man's state. You know, if we love God, it's a, he said, we'll keep his commandments. <laughs> One of the things he commanded us to do is to love other people. <laughs> so how are we this week? How are we going to act out in love this week? How can we display our love for God and our love for people this week? What ways can we display our love for God and our love for people? How is my love for God going to be lived out this week? What am I going to do to gain more and more of a closer relationship to him because of my love for him? How is my love for my spouse going to be shown this week? How is my love for my parents, for my kids, for, for my coworkers, uh, for anyone that I come into contact with? How am I going to demonstrate that love this week? Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media, and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.